Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is, whenever you may hear this. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is actually yesterday's edition of Bible Bites, episode 303, where we were looking at Luke 14 through 16, and I'll be back with today's in a little while or tomorrow morning. Yesterday's um, passage was Luke 14 through 16, so let's look at a few things from those chapters as we continue reading through the Bible this year. And we are in 303, so we're not too far away. Welcome as you join in. In Luke 14, in the first few verses, Jesus is teaching about healing here um, because he heals someone that has the dropsy. And he does it, a lot of times he does it on the Sabbath day, and I think uh, that he's trying to teach them something powerful that God is more interested in people than he is in days of the week. But notice this, that this healing Jesus also declares that it is like delivering someone who has been trapped or in need, regardless of the day of the week. Now, he uses the example to these Pharisees that get upset with him. He says, well, if you had a donkey that was in need, if you had an animal that had fallen into a ditch or whatever, you're going to deliver them even if it is the Sabbath. And so he, he says, you know, basically, how much more value is a person than an animal to God? God is much more important, uh, or God is much more interested in delivering people that are in need at any time, regardless of the day of the week. And so that's what he's dealing with here in these first few verses. Then he uses a parable of teaching them, or to teach them, the danger of presumption and pride versus humility. One brings shame while the other brings promotion and joy. And he uses that these examples in this parable here that he speaks of. He talks about the promise in verse 12 through 14, the promise of reward when out of a pure motive, someone cares for the needy entrusting the reward to God and not expecting it from the people. And then he goes on in the next few verses. And he um, is interesting here because in this particular passage, it appears that this Pharisee that is coming to him He says, now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. So it appears that he said this kind of out of pride and arrogance. Um, And the way I, uh, the reason that I say that is because of the way Jesus responded to him. And he gave another story about a man that gives a great supper, invites many people, And the ones that were invited, the great people that he invited at first, made all kinds of excuses. Every one of them, they came up with all these excuses for him. And they said, you know, things like, well, well, I got to go. I just, you know, bought a piece of land. I need to go and tend to it. 
One said, I got married, I, you know, I can't come, blah, blah, blah. And so they were not coming. And God got angry with them because he must be first in our lives. So he went out and he invited and welcomed all the other commoners. And even down to the poor and needy, he said, go into the highways and byways and compel them. Anyone, anyone who will answer his invitation and come. All those who responded with an RSVP, with a yes RSVP, they enjoyed the fellowship. The moral of this is that we not have excuses. There's a danger here when making excuses and that we place high value on fellowship with God and accepting his invitation, not letting excuses cut out our time with him. And that's a hard thing that we all must remember is that it's, it's more important that we have our time with him. And sometimes even good things can try to choke that out. And we must be careful. Every one of us must be very careful. Jesus goes on in verse 25 and following. He talks about the cost of discipleship. Jesus never hid that. He always stressed it. Matter of fact, he talks about here that you've got to, you know, if you wanted to build a tower, you've got to sit down and count the cost first. And he's using that similarly talking about discipleship. It's not an easy road but it's a worthwhile road. He mentions in verse 26 about hating, you know, your father, mother, etc. It doesn't mean that you detest them like you would an enemy. It's not talking about that at all. It can be translated to love less. So in other words, we've got to love other people and other things, including our own family, less than we do God. We need to have him as our very first love. And then family is right up there underneath the Lord. And then we go on down the line with other things in our lives, other areas of practical daily living. And I love how he gives the summation here of this passage about discipleship. And he says this, in verse 33, this is the summation. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. In other words, there is a cost, but it's a worthwhile cost to forsake everything else and follow wholly after him. Now, chapter 15, I love chapter 15. It's one of the most beloved passages in the New Testament. And it contains a couple of stories that we know very well, particularly the prodigal son story. But chapter 15 really deals with three different stories, um, allegories, metaphors, whatever you would like to call them, parables, etc. But they're all communicating the exact same thing. The three stories are about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Now, I want to read verses 1 through 3 to help you understand why Jesus gave these examples and their importance. It says in verse 1 of chapter 15, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. 
So he spoke this parable to them saying, and then he gives the first one and the second one and the third of the stories. And all three of them have a similar uh, meaning behind him. He set it up. He sets up for us why he was, it was necessary for him to deliver these words to them. The lost sheep, the focus is on the shepherd. The shepherd goes after the one until he finds it. Then he will carry it on his shoulder. He will rejoice and throw a party. And he says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The second story is about the lost coin. The focus here is on the woman, the married woman, the bride, who has the ten coins on her garland and loses one of them. And she is, um, she lights the lamp. She sweeps the house. She searches until she finds it. And then she rejoices and calls others to rejoice with her. He says again, there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And then the most uh, familiar of these begins in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. And this is the parable, parable of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. And many of us are familiar with this. I want to pull out a few things from this story. Because in the lost son example, the focus is on the father. Now, I want to I read a few passages from here as we begin to move into chapter 16 and conclude today for yesterday's um, teaching. In verse 17 through 19, but when he came to himself, this is the prodigal son. He had said, Daddy, I want you to give me my inheritance. You know, I don't want to wait until you die. Give it to me now. So the father gives it to him. He goes out and he blows it, blows it spends it on wasteful living, on all kinds of pleasures and, and fleshly things. And he ends up in a pigsty, ends up in a pigsty, broke, completely dilapidated, completely destitute, and even wishing he could eat as well as the pigs did. And so it says in verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So this, uh, this prodigal son has now been humbled to treasure his father, and to realize the blessings that his father has and has been to him. So we see his perspective. Now I want you to see the father's perspective in verse 20 and 21. And he arose and came to his father. But notice this. But when the prodigal son, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Hallelujah. Beloved, all three of these stories are talking about that joy that is in the father's heart, that is in the shepherd's heart, that is in the bride's heart. When the lost is found, is returned, is safe again, 
This father cared for that son, and he sees him when he's still a great ways off, and he takes off running to welcome that son back home. Even though the son had blew his father's money and inheritance and was shamed in reality and, and came in shame, confessing. Read in verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in, and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Read this, 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. The father was excited about the son coming home. Hallelujah. And he is with every prodigal child of his. I don't know where you stand with the Lord friend. I pray that you know him as I know him and that you love him and he's your father and you are ex excited and enjoying sweet fellowship with him. But if you can't say that and if you don't experience that, whether you be a prodigal who was saved or was in, was in the fellowship with God and had sweet communion and knew the things of God and then ran away like this prodigal did, or You've never been saved. You've never come to know Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior. Whichever camp, if either of those camps fit you, the Father wants you to come back home. The Father wants you to come to Him. And if you do, when you are still coming, even a great ways off, He will run and meet you. He will run and, and gather you to Himself and hug you and kiss you, so to speak, like he would in a physical example. He will welcome you. That's the point. He will welcome you. He's waiting. He is longing for you to come to it. And when you do, he will party and rejoice over you because you, were, you who were dead are now alive again and the lost is now found again. Now, the rest of that story speaks of the brother's, the older brother's response. He wasn't quite as happy as the father was because he felt like he had been gypped. He felt like, well, wait a minute. I've been here. I've been faithful. I've been serving you all this time. And the father says, oh, no. Oh, no, don't be upset because you've been with me the whole time and everything I have is open to you. And I've been good to you and you've been with me and you've continually been able to access all of my blessings. But this one who was lost is now found. This one who was dead spiritually, dead to me in a sense, is now alive again. And that causes us to have a reason to rejoice. So there was a, there was a rebuke and a reproof and a correction that had to go to that older brother. So beloved friend, Jesus is calling for you, and he loves you, and he will welcome you home. And for those of us that are in the family of God now, 
We need to rejoice with the Father when any are coming to know Him. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Any of the whosoever wills, the Father is rejoicing over them coming home. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. And then we move into chapter 16, the last chapter for this session. First of all, Jesus tackles the um, accountability aspect of stewardship. He wants to stress that we are stewards to him, and he wants us to be wise stewards and recognize that we will be uh, giving an account. In verse 9, he even goes down and he speaks of having a right and proper mindset in relation to money. There is a right view because money is needed. It is needed for us to do our work, our ministries, etc. But we do not need to worship or serve money. I want to read you verse 13. He says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon was money. It represented money and wealth. He is not saying here that having any form of riches is in, is in itself a sin or a wrong. It's the attitude, it's the stewardship of it that makes it either a right attitude or a wrong attitude and a wrong way of handling that. He goes on and he warns against self-righteousness. He also speaks in verse uh, 19 through 31. He speaks of a man, a rich man clothed in purple whose name was Lazarus. This is not the same Lazarus that he raises later from the dead. This was a different man. And then there was a beggar. Or the, the rich man, I'm sorry, and the beggar was named Lazarus. This is not the Lazarus that was uh, raised from the dead. It was a different one. But this Lazarus was a beggar. He was full of sores, and he laid out at this rich man's gate. He was hoping just for crumbs, just for crumbs. He was so poor and so destitute. And this teaches us that... We need to be careful because heaven, this rich man died, went to hell. The, uh, the other man, Lazarus, died and went to Abraham's bosom, which was considered heaven at that time. It was the place of the departed dead saints of the Old Testament, those that loved and honored the Lord. And this teaches us about heaven and about how we need to honor God and other people because Lazarus is the one that ended up going to heaven and he was the one that was here on earth as a beggar, poor and destitute, longing for just the crumbs. But the rich man was wealthy here, had maybe great prestige and fame and honor, and yet he ended up in hell because he would not be kind to people. He, he didn't honor God. He didn't revere God. He didn't love the Lord above that wealth. And that's the danger with wealth. Then, um, so we need to be very careful, excuse me, we need to be very careful about our attitude toward money because it 
The love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all evil. Not money in and of itself, but when we make it a God to us, then it has become a sin to us. We've crossed into that place where the love of money becomes the root of all evil. And we cannot serve God and money. Jesus made that very clear. I pray that this has been a blessing to you today. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you in Jesus' name.